Welcome to the Research Reimagine podcast, brought to you by Nottingham Trent University. I'm your host, Helen Darby Dalman, and I'll be inviting some of NTU's brightest minds to explore how their research is helping us to deepen our understanding of the world. From online addictions to transgender rights and sleep disorders, listen as we discuss some of society's most pressing challenges and uncover some of the ways our research is making a difference. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring the topic of mental health amongst African and Caribbean mothers. Our guest today is Dr. Dung Jadong, a senior lecturer in psychology at NTU. Dung, thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. As women, we are twice as likely to be diagnosed with clinical depression than men. You might be thinking that this statistics makes sense. After all, research shows men are less likely to visit the doctor about mental health concerns compared to women. However, black women are 50% less likely to seek medical assistance than white women, and they are 20% more likely to be ignored by their GPs. The health disparities between black and white women don't end there. Black women are less likely to be diagnosed with ovarian cancer and endometriosis and statistically experience shorter life expectancies and higher rates of maternal mortality. Despite some improvements over recent years, the mental health of Afro-Caribbean mothers is still incredibly under-researched, and many black women's experiences and voices continue to be marginalised. Our guest, Dr Jung Jijong, is going to explain the realities that Afro-Caribbean mothers in the UK are facing, and explain what needs to be done to better support them and their journey through motherhood. So, Jung, some of the statistics that I've just mentioned are clearly very problematic. I mean, could you start by explaining a little bit about your role here at the university and also about your area of research? Thank you. So um, here at NTU, I um, work as a lecturer in black and cultural psychology. And also I teach in other area of models, but my primary teaching duties is within the area of black and cultural psychology. And can you tell us a little bit about a bit, the areas as in what you've been actually um, researching? I basically um, do a lot of research, but at the minute, um, pulling more energy in doing um, cultural adaptation for psychological intervention um, in different areas of mental health disorders, but with more focus um, on the people of African and Caribbean origin here in the UK. And of course, uh, working with other African and Caribbean countries like Nigeria, Kenya and Jamaica. And I know that you've been doing some some work on reverse innovation. Can you talk to me a bit about that work that you've been doing with your mentor and and kind of what that involves? Oh, thank you. So again, um, my 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 research mentor, Professor Nusrat Hussein of the University of Manchester, um, we have been involved more recently in all sort of uh, discussion thinking around um, reverse innovation, where we understood that. Uh, since Hitato, um, there has always been um, some kind of a demonization of uh, values, beliefs, uh, and things that actually work well or perhaps sustainable from, from African and other low-income countries. So now we're thinking through reverse innovation where we begin to harness some of these uh, experiences, uh, some of these knowledges that we are learning from these um, African and low-income countries and see how those can actually be used and even made more sustainable here in the Western or more um, high-income countries. Is this this work kind of first of its kind? Yes, so um, there is not really much research in this area. So we're still thinking more vividly. Uh, for example, what we're doing in some of the research, uh, um, looking at uh, mental health in Nigeria and Kenya, 
uh, what has really worked well and how can we bring those ideas into um, African and Caribbean communities here in the UK. Can you tell me how you got into your area of research? I mean, was there anything in particular that led you in that direction? Right. So um, uh, my, my, my educational training, it's kind of uh, have shown some sort of uh, a clear trajectory into what I'm doing today with regard to teaching, research and practice. For example, uh, my first degree was in general and applied psychology. And then my master's degree was in uh, clinical and community psychology. And my dissertation was looking at uh, the challenges faced by mental health uh, interpreters in East London. And I got a funded PhD to explore the impact of cultural beliefs uh, on mental health uh, in, in, in Nigeria. So if you see this kind of uh, um, a trajectory of my educational training kind of, uh, you know, tie closely to my current research looking at uh, cultural adaptation for mental health um, problems or disorders, if you want to put it that way. I'm talking about mental health, you know, it's not really something that it's uh, it's common and, and people just get along with their daily activities regardless of their emotional distress. And mental health problems are only seen as problems when those individuals have reached some kind of a degradable level where they can't look after themselves anymore. That is only when they see this as, as a mental health problem. But, um, you know, anxiety, depression, etc. are not always seen as a mental health problem. So it's very severe before anything, any intervention is brought in. Yeah, that's right. And again, you know, uh, but cultural and religious beliefs are, you know, kind of not really permit conversation around mental health problems. And was it something that when you came to the UK that you were, became very aware of that actually that wasn't the norm? Or were you already fully aware of the fact that the, the difference in different cultures and the support that people get around mental health? Because I studied psychology undergraduate, so obviously we were exposed to all sort of mental health disorders in the different levels of our undergraduate degree. Um, aside from understanding of the literature, you might also be aware that um, in Nigeria as a developing country, we don't really have a proportionate level of mental health practitioner. So the ratio between mental health practitioners and potential service providers is very, very poor. So the mental infrastructure is, is, first of all, the mental infrastructure is not adequate. And secondly, it's not something that is talked about. And to a large extent, when people begin to have severe mental health experiences, they are likely going to seek for um, religious and traditional healings rather than going to uh, modern or perhaps orthodox mental health services. So the statistics that we introduced, obviously, at the beginning um, of the episode, I mean, they're clearly quite problematic. And it, and it is quite shocking that the race, racial bias and discrimination affects black people's medical care so much to this day. Um, could you please explain where some of these shocking attitudes come from uh, and how this is affecting black people? Uh, I mean, historically, we understood that uh, there are... Uh up to today, some legacies of uh, slavery, colonization, racism, systemic oppression, and, and so many other um, social factors that are impacting on 
uh, why people of African and Caribbean origin access mental health or not. Now, if you go down memory lane, looking at historical era, um, beginning from the slavery uh, point where uh, most, uh, or especially the field of medicine was uh, kind of uh, built on the suffering of black people. And one of which, uh, if you can remember the, the classical work of uh, Dr. James uh, Ma uh, Marion Sims, where he basically conduct all sort of uh, experimental surgeries on black women or enslaved black women around uh, the use of anesthesia or you know, subjecting them to giving birth without any form of uh, pain reliever. So all these are kind of uh, um, historical happening that have up to today impact on why uh, most people of African and Caribbean origin are likely to be reluctant toward um, accessing uh, mental health care. I mean, it, it talks about that Dr. James Marion Sims, he obviously didn't use anesthesia in a lot of these operations, and that very much impacts on the, the thinking of pain um, and, and how black people, black women, actually perceive pain. I mean, is there more you can talk to me a bit about that in terms of how that really does impact I mean, even in, in modern day, you know, we, we, we're thinking in terms of our cultural beliefs and how these cultural beliefs have significant impact into um, decision of help seeking behaviors for mental health care, etc. Um, because of this distrust that has been persistent within the, the care sector, um, that has kind of ingrained into the cultural and religious beliefs of uh, African and Caribbean people. For example, there is this general perception that uh, as a typical African mom, you know, you should show strength and, and help seeking behavior for emotional distress or mental health problems or perhaps postnatal depression. It's a sign of weakness and it's also seen as a potential taboo that uh, women shouldn't express. There's obviously, you mentioned and the research is that there's a there's a lack of trust that African and Caribbean women have in the medical system and, and how important actually it certainly is um, in the maternal state and then new mothers how much we actually rely on or need that care can you talk to me a little bit further about kind of that lack of understanding and, and probably the cultural understanding within that profession for example you know um, we can you know, there are tons of literature showing um, the implication of our cultural belief, which is one of the, the key determining factors as to whether we are going to access whatever kind of services that are readily available at our disposal. Now, um, we have a misrepresentation of our mental health practitioners of the African and Caribbean origin within the care sector. And that is one. And secondly, sometimes you have a typical uh, Caucasian white middle-class um, male who is uh, a potential care provider for a typical Afro-Caribbean uh, mom. So now there's kind of a, a misunderstanding in terms of uh, what are the cultural etiology, uh, what, what, what are the cultural implications of uh, the belief behind the, the diagnosis or even the treatment. So it's always a difficult task. So uh, I think one of the biggest challenge is actually ingrained within the care profession itself. And do you think there's any other reasons today why black women are not as likely to seek medical health support? Of course, um, we, 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 you know, kind of uh, at a minute looking at uh, how cultural and religious uh, beliefs sort of impact on 
uh, the reasons why you know people of African and Caribbean origin are likely to be reluctant toward healthcare seeking behavior, and this is partly you know something to do with uh, you know this belief system as to um, what. Or to what extent can they really rely on on the care provision? That is one. And then secondly, um, some of these moms might have had experiences, probably not direct, but maybe they are linked to their social groups of uh, other moms who have expressed um, emotional distress to um, social services or to their care provision. And sometimes the risks um, getting their children taken away from them within the guises of uh, mental incapacitation. So yes, these are some of other factors where um, moms of these communities are less or highly reluctant or perhaps there's low uptake of mental health care services. You already mentioned that, you know, mental health issues can be seen, well, are seen as a taboo within these communities. You know, why is that? Is there a specific reason? Actually, you know, this sort of uh, within the context of uh, cultural and religious beliefs uh, where peop- uh, some of uh, people in African and Caribbean communities believe that uh, mental health issues are uh, external to the individual. And so when they pray over this, they can easily get healed. And then from cultural perspective, these are also saying that as a typical Afro-Caribbean mom, you shouldn't express any form of uh, mental health distress because that would suggest some um, level of weaknesses on the side of the mom. But if we look at this from a more logical, you know, um, sort of things where, you know, um, being pregnant, giving birth to a newborn and having to nurse that little baby, which depends on the mom almost 100% on uh, the baby's survival, we can see that these sort of activities are, you know, both physically and emotionally draining. and you know, people might be, you know, experience some sort of uh, emotional breakdown and it, people or moms should be able to find a conducive atmosphere to seek help or support where necessary. Um, however, when um, some of these moms express this sort of uh, uh, mental health distress, they might be seen as though they are incapacitated to look after their children. For example, here in, in, in the UK, um, African and Caribbean moms are four times more likely to be detained under the Mental Health Act, much more than any other ethnic group in the country. So this sort of, you know, also raises our eyebrows to thinking around systemic injustice that are paramount in this community. I mean, there must be a lot of fear within that community of obviously expressing any of that compared to, I know from my own um, experience of becoming a mum and actually you seeking people to talk to. I mean, that that clearly is something that needs to be looked at and addressed. Absolutely. Uh, in some of our previous um, um, research, like the one I mentioned, we conducted focus group um, discussion with um, some of the mums uh, from these communities and some of them have actually attested to uh, potential experiencing when um, they risk, uh, you know, their children being taken away from social services. So these are some of the reasons that kind of uh, culminate into um, the broader issue around the uptake of uh, mental health care within these communities. And I know you run a research project called Learning Through Play uh, Plus Culturally Adapted Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. You know, tell me more about that project and the aims for it. This project you know, all, all started from our preliminary work um, that I mentioned, um, systematic review 
focus group discussions and public and patient involvement event. Um, the preliminary findings from these studies then necessitated the project that we're doing now on uh, learning to through play plus culturally adapted cognitive behavior therapy for treating depression among um, the British mothers of African and Caribbean um, communities. So our understanding was, uh, you know, the fact that depression itself is um, the leading cause of disease burden, and this is only going to be increasing um, up to 2030. Now, um, it's even more difficult when um, these moms have children, uh, young children who um, require all sort of support for their uh, basic survival. And that's where we understood that this is a neglected area and this study is actually one of the first of its kind um, to support moms from the African and Caribbean um, community. And again, um, because um, children, uh, at the ages of zero to three, or perhaps down to five and six, um, rely on the mom, the attachment to the mom, and that sort of uh, um, determine the adequate support they receive to help them to be school ready. Um, we understood as well that about 40% of uh, black pupils and students are likely to um, drop out of school due to um, significant lack of parental warmth. Um, from, from their parent. And we understood again that uh, depressed moms are much more vulnerable and even susceptible to um, self-harm, which then suggests that the moms have to be mentally and physically healthy. That way they can be able to support the children and help them to be um, um, school ready and also to build resilience to help them um, challenge um, social vices that might be at their uh, at their disposal. So the intervention itself, um, it's a psychological intervention. It's behavioral and doesn't involve any form of uh, medication or antidepressants. So um, it's online. Uh, we help this uh, intervention online um, via Microsoft Teams, and it lasts approximately 60 minutes. So it's a 12-session uh, parenting training where we train moms how best to look after themselves, both physically and mentally, and also how to look after their children. And from our preliminary findings, moms have been um, highly appreciative of how this training is uh, highly developmental. And does this intervention bring groups of women together? So is that actually also creating um, a, co a community of like-minded getting the same education that then obviously they can have a power behind that is that a bit of a thinking that then you're making a big shift they're not on their own because it must be quite isolating if you're not allowed to share those those difficulties you're having in that early stages of having a, a baby yeah absolutely so um it's a group integrated um intervention where in each of the bubble group, if you want to call it like a smaller uh, a subgroup, we have approximately 10 moms who come together for the duration of that uh, 12 sessions of uh, parenting training. And But most importantly, um, the training also helped the moms to basically um, get this um, parenting skill set that are very developmental and useful for them as, as moms and also for their children. It's also helped, you know, to treat those uh, postnatal depression and anxiety, but most importantly, the intervention kind of uh, help um, the children of these depressed moms to be able to uh, reach their full potential in life through adequate training that might involve uh, 
you know, adequate breastfeeding, hygiene, um, health, mother relationship through attachment, which has always um, shown to be very useful. So because this evidence-based, you know, intervention, we assess the moms at baseline that's prior to the intervention, then at the end of the intervention, then we then follow up three months and also six months just to look at how sustainable this intervention has been on the moms. And as, as this um, thinking, you know, at the very beginning, you were talking about taking learnings um, from reverse innovation. Is that where this has come from? Has a lot of this information come or, or this study come from that? Yes, absolutely. So um, again, you know, we are kind of triangulating our evidence, um, looking at what we found, what is attainable in, in Nigeria, what is attainable in Kenya, as we've published in our previous studies, and now we're expanding to Jamaica. So all this kind of knowledge have um, helped us to put this together. So based on our trajectory, we understood that at the minute, um, it costs the United Kingdom um, about 8.1 billion every year to finance mental health distress such as depression, anxiety, psychosis, etc. So we understand that the anticipated findings we are going to be getting from our own uh, project, and especially when we successfully completed the pilot and also a, a full-scale trial, it's going to um, save um, the government about 7% equivalent of the, inter uh, of, of the investment, which might amount to about 21 million um, savings per annum. And this will be attributed to uh, um, reduction in disease burden of uh, maternal and child uh, childhood disorder reduction in hospital visit uh, with uh, uh, associated to the African and Caribbean communities alone. And, and what further do you think needs to be done to uh, change things for the better? Um, at the minute, um, to 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 be fair, I, I feel disappointed that uh, you know in this year and age um, we are the one doing this kind of uh, research that will bring about this tangible and sustainable change. Which means there is a lot more more that need to be done in terms of conducting more evidence based research. You know that can build resilience in this community because actually cost the government more money for not doing or investing in mental health uh, among this community. So we also need to think in terms of actionable policy uh, implementation and uh, that can bring about you know measurable impact in this community. But most importantly, is to then begin to you know see what we can do within our own reach to bring this change. For example, now uh, my current contribution to the NHS is uh, becoming more uh, practicable uh, and reachable in the sense that uh, I am also part of uh, uh, of the NHS maternity service user uh, equality steering group and of course the, the lead for the sub um, uh, group for mental health and, and well-being. Um, in this uh, um, steering group, it's a kind of a conglomeration of practitioners from different aspects of uh, um, developmental and also uh, maternity and care provision among NHS, etc. So we, we're thinking about how uh, we can actually uh, bring about improvement in the life experiences and clinical outcomes um, of, of women and babies from uh, the BME communities and especially those that are living in deprived and socioeconomically uh, disadvantaged communities. But most importantly is to also see how we can increase confidence uh, among this community to really um, access the services that are readily available. 
I mean, this this episode is going to be released on both Black History Month and coincidentally also on World Mental Health Day. Uh, why do you think it's important to support these awareness days? And, and do you think there's more steps we can take uh, to improve the visibility of these issues? Absolutely. So um, like I, I mentioned earlier, our, our working with the NHS steering group is to see how we can increase um, um, confidence in this community. So uh, I totally uh, believe that there is a high level of lack of awareness. And so this kind of uh, uh, more activities that brings about knowledge uh, transfer or knowledge exchange activities such as this podcast and, and the conferences that we are organizing, for example, uh, we uh, uh, or, or this research group has also pioneered uh, an annual conference of uh, also target International African and Caribbean Mental Health Conference. And, and this year, uh, we, have, we are going to be hosting the second um, annual conference, which is also hashtag uh, AIACM. HC forward slash, uh, you know, uh, minus two. Uh, this will hold on the 29th uh, of October here at NTU um, City Campus. So we look forward to as many people who can participate. It's also have provisions for both uh, in-person and also virtual participation. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your knowledge, expertise and telling us all about your research. I know earlier you told me that, you know, this information's out there, um, but I think for many of us, actually, we're very unaware of it. So it's been incredibly insightful. Um, so thank you again for joining us. The pleasure is mine. Thank you all very much for listening. If you want to find out more about Dung's research, please check out the episode description. You've been listening to the Research Reimagined podcast by Nottingham Trent University. For all of the latest news from the research community at NTU, follow us on Twitter at NTU underscore research or sign up to our research newsletter by visiting ntu.ac.uk forward slash research. Thanks for listening.